Welcome, everybody, to the last look at games we used to love, games we still love, and games we hope you'll love too. You haven't much time to love these games because the world is coming to an end. Oh, shit, son. The end is nigh. Ask not for whom the bell tolls, because it tolls for video games. R.I.P. Video games. Yes. So, aye, we've, we've reached our apocalypse special three weeks late, but we've, we've got here. You yeah. know, at least the world was kind enough to hold off. For three weeks, yeah, so the, we could record our podcast. The world just about held, held on for three weeks. I mean, it is now covered in a weird, unseasonal snow. Totally. Which is what happens in the at the end of the world. And why is the world ending, you, you may ask. You may ask. Mm. You may ask me, Nicole Hay, and you may ask him. Barry T. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know why... Is that I, funny? Something funny about my name, Nicole? Well, it's the fact that you stopped like six letters short at the end of your name. I, you missed out the opening. Like my last name, okay? I, I, I think it's wonderful. I'm going to change my gnome. My gnome. I'm going to change my name to Oda Nobunaga. And what are you going to change your gnome to? <laughs> David the gnome. David the gnome. David the gnome. He's going to be sitting like in your front garden with a, a Game Boy Advance. Game Boy. Yeah. Totally. Yep. Everyone else is fresh, and he's just Game like Boy Advance. You know you can't play those outdoors, Nickel. That's you true. You know how it works. That's true. That's true. But you know, gnome powers. You'd probably glow a bit if you're a gnome. I don't ah, know. I Do they so. glow? I don't think so. Well, this has gone off the rails. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. Do no- Please get in touch if you tell us the gnomes glow. What the fuck? Are you all right, eh? They probably glow when they're playing video games. If you can yeah, capture yeah, a gnome, man. make it play. Make Give it, it a play Game Boy Mario Advance. World. Maybe its eyes can enable it to play a Game Boy Advance outside. Who knows? These are the questions that never got answered when they invented gnomes. Anyway, we're talking anyway. about the apocalypse because this month, well, this seven weeks, I've been playing. The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask, and Barry has been playing. And I have been playing the Timeless Chrono Trigger. Although it's not really timeless, is it? It's full of time. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, so there's a theme here with like time travel and the world ending and going back in time to try and stop the world ending and failure and bleakness and horror. Mm. So we're going to be talking about those two. Um, So since we last met, Nicola, have you been doing anything retro gaming? Have you been playing anything particularly exciting? Um, No, I've been... Like all my time's going into Zelda because it's a much bigger game than we normally play for these things. And uh, now you have to admit shamefully that I yeah because it's so big I didn't finish it. I got so close to the end, but I had to watch the final boss battle and ending movie on YouTube because we just didn't have the time. I don't have the time anymore. I'm a grown up. It really illustrates like how. You know, in a time before YouTube, you just wouldn't have seen the end of it. Yeah, I just wouldn't. Well, no, I mean, in a time before, before YouTube, I would have just taken another week to finish it and not nah, had to podcast point, about actually, it. Yeah. You know, like, you know, these podcast deadlines didn't exist back in that more innocent time, Curse which is an, another age. reason of why playing video games now is different from back yeah. then. But yeah, I mean, like, all the time's gone. Like, I, I, I bought The Cave on mm-hmm. the day it came out. I haven't even installed it yet. Oh, really? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still playing uh, Pokemon Conquest on my bus journeys, which is which is fun, and you know, it uses sprites, so that's probably retro, right? Yeah, it's pretty retro. Pokemon Conquest is the one that's like, this is why I was saying I was going to change my name to Oda Nobunaga. Yeah, Pokemon Conquest is like the one that's like, it, ha- it has kind of yeah, feudal. I'm, what, I'm sure it, ha- it has like historical feudal lords as characters in, it, and they have. Like yeah, meet parties of Pokemon and stuff. It's yeah. it's a mashup between Pokemon and another um, Nintendo franchise, which was Japan only hasn't had any iterations recently, called uh, Nobunaga's Ambition, uh, 
which now I don't know about the other warlords that are in the game, but certainly, you know, r rudimentary Googling reveals that Nobunaga was a real warlord in Japan, and uh, this game seems to be based on his. That's cool, like, that's, that's a really kind of cool. I like it. it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a nice sort of premise for a game. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, so and good, anything's it, yeah? better. Good, good anything's one. better when you put Pokemon in. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. So, um, what about yourself? Anything retro um, video game rearing its head? At I, I, you? I've been very ill, so I've been playing a lot of games. I spent three weeks in bed, pretty much playing games. Yeah. Stuck forty-five hours into a, a playthrough of Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, have been playing Castlevania Three. Um, Akimajo Densetsu, which I will come back to later on. You will see why I'm referring to it by yeah. its Playing the fun game, how sore can my body get? Pretty much, man. And Castlevania has just been aggravating that. So um, Something kind of retroly cool that uh, showed up is, for anyone that's familiar with it, Hyperkin make a wee sort of third-party console called the Retro N3, mm -hmm. which is a wee fella that has like a, a, a sort of slot for SNES games, Mega Drive games... Um, the reason I never got my hands on one, even though it was very cheap, around sort of fifty, sixty dollars, is it only outputted S video, which looks a bit like it's a bit gummy. It's a bit yeah, gummy on it. Soft. It's like you've smeared Vaseline into your retina. Yeah. Oh, oh. Sorry. As a digression, the most heartrending thing has happened to me. Uh -huh. I wanted to do Yoshi's Safari for oh. um, for the podcast, uh -huh. and the Super Scope doesn't work with. Oh no! Modern TVs. It only works oh, yeah, no, of course TVs. it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. should have thought of this. Oh uh, no, that's right. That's that's a big problem with like, uh, and you know, I don't know if you saw this. There's another digression. Like, um, uh, a lot of old rhythm action games are pretty much unplayable on new TVs because new TVs have all got um a latency built in. Well, they they apply like filters, like like they've all got like a you know like dynamic contrast filters and uh -huh. things like that. So it adds like a half second latency between your button press. And most games you don't notice, but if you're playing like a rhythm action game like Parappa the Rapper. Like you can't, I suppose. Like plodding idiots like myself would still be able to play them, but like those guys are like pathologically S rank every single yeah. second of it. They can't do it anymore because so, uh, TV technology has ruined the the video games. I uh, know it's our first sort of hindrance. I can't play Yoshi Safari now unless I get my uh, hands I've got on a CRT. CRT TV. Well, there you go. Nickel saves the day. I'll just come right yours and play it. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, it's at my mum's house. You can go around. Don't, 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 no, no, no don't, 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 don't come around. It's at my mum's right, house. Fuck you. Go, right, go visit my right. mum. This podcast is over. Go, so visit, yeah. go visit my mum, bring your super scope, she'll be delighted to see you. I will happily show your mum a super scope, Nicole. So, talking of bleak apocalyptic things, there I'm it is. I'm not finished talking about the N3. Let go back to that. Oh, let's time travel back to that then. Hey, get your ocarina out. So, for those of you who might be familiar <laughs> with it, Hyper can make a console called Retro N3, which plays all the games. Anyway, there's a new version of it coming out. The, What's it called, Barry? The N4, unbelievably. N4! One, one whole, not the N64, the N4. N4! It will play SNES games, Genesis Mega Drive games. Apparently, it will play these games regardless of region. And which will be so good because I can hopefully stick the EverDrive into it and won't have to use the archaic DOS patching program that I've currently been using to make my ROMs region free. Um, but that will have an HDMI, an HDMI out on it, which should be a lot more friendly Sharp than as S Video. Um, it's not going to upscale your SNES games to 1080p or anything, but. Well, why would you want it to? Exactly. I, I've started to come around to the correct aspect ratio of. <laughs> you've God. taken me under your. Leathery. It's one of those things. I think. I think it's one of those things. People don't notice it until it's pointed out to them, and then it's all you can see. Aye. Aye. 
Um, so that'll, yeah. that'll be great. I mean, if there's more information coming about that at the end of the month. But for certainly, I, I've been looking to replace my SNES for a while because it's not in great nick. And you can replace it with this crazy looking. It looks horrible, like shit. It looks, it looks like, like shit. It looks like a toaster designed by Escher. It's it Aye. slots everywhere you look. It looks like something you stick on your wall, like a bit, like it looks like a, a heater or something. It just, <laughs> it just looks totally shit. But anyway, it looks horrible. So if just throw a sheet over it, yeah. as I'm sure our listeners normally are doing. Anyway, yeah. Just throw a cloth over it, like he's always doing. Yeah, yeah, Don't that's, that's a good it. idea. Don't um, look at it. But you know, stick some video games in it and play some video games. Aye, fill out all the cartridge ports at once. Um, speaking of playing uh, games and getting machines through the post, you don't have something to contribute on that, Barry? I do. I would like to take a minute to say a massive thank you to Gavin Logan, Tamewhale on Twitter, for sending me an N64 for the price of free. Yeah, he just also, because you asked. He also sent me two controllers and some games as well. One of those games was FIFA, though. <laughs> well, you <laughs> I know, you I... may have been taking the piss there. Like, but. Um, so cheers very much, Tamewhale. Um, you are now enabling me to cover N64 games for this podcast after I left my previous N64 and X's house so thanks to Tamewell for sending me a, a beautiful N64 and thanks to 87th for sending me a copy of Pokemon Stadium to play on it yeah more than which in the future yes which will be good for our podcast put it that way yes um, and how do you get to the future you travel through time and you hope there's not an apocalypse Aye. which is a beautiful and not in any way laboured segue into our chat beautiful segue Nicole you should do this for a living yeah I am I am a DJ trapped in a uh, not DJ's body. Nickel is available for fluid public speaking, <laughs> where he will show up at your event and deliver an absolute peach. Uh, just off the cuff. Peaches off the cuff, which is what it will say on my business cards. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. So, anyway, time traveling, apocalypse, and here's a wee bit of music from Chrono Trigger, and I'll be back to tell you all about it. Tell me everything about Chrono Trigger. Don't leave anything out. Okay. <laughs> For those of you that might not be familiar with Chrono Trigger, I really hope there aren't that many of you. Um, that, not that I'm getting torn into or that, but this is a very good... Let me start by saying this is a very good game. It's everything I talk about. You may have noticed that I pretty much just talk about games that I completely fucking love. So Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, I, I seem to be more unfortunate that I talk about games that I think I love and then... They don't hold up. If you've not played Chrono Trigger and you're not going to play Chrono Trigger after listening to this, then you may as well just turn off now. Um, there'll be a bit of spoilers in this, but I'll, I'll sort of mention. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give a bit of a look away now. Only look away with your ears, as opposed to your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'll shout when it's safe to come back. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so Chrono Trigger was a, a JRPG released in 1995 for the SNES. In uh, Japanese and American regions, no European release, unfortunately, which is why a lot of people maybe still haven't played it. It didn't make it to Europe until the DS release in 2008. So um, it was developed by Squaresoft. Um, it was sort of it was one of the big SNES RPGs. It was a 32 meg game, um, and the sort of development team behind it at Squaresoft was a bit of a dream team. Um, it featured Hironobu Sakaguchi as a designer, obviously the creator of Final Fantasy. 
Um, Yuji Hori, who was the creator of Dragon Quest series, um, you know, he's very much the mastermind behind that. He was on board as a writer. Well, I'm fairly sure he was freelance at the time. I don't think he actually worked for Squaresoft. Um, Akira Toriyama did all the art, who obviously famous for doing Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and again, Dragon Quest. Uh, music done by Yasunori Mitsuda, and um, the tracks that he didn't do were handed off to Nobuo Uematsu, of course, of Final Fantasy fame as well. So this is very much a big sort of Squaresoft production that had a lot of people who maybe necessarily didn't work with each other again on a lot of games after this. So it was very much the Square dream team at the right. time that worked on it. Um, the game itself can be summed up by saying it's an RPG where you travel through time, various time periods, to stop the world from ending. In Chrono Trigger, um, the world ends in 1999. You don't find this out at the start of the game. Um, you know, you're you, you play a young a young boy Chrono who's just sort of you know your average sort of silent JRPG protagonist, mm -hmm. and you kind of meet a, a a lassie who's secretly a princess, and there's an accident and you fall through a time gate and you end up in 800 AD, sort of 200 years before where you started, and then this whole sort of plot unfolds around that. Um, there are six time periods in Chrono Trigger which range from 65 million years BC. You know where y you tend to meet a, a party member in every time period. So you mm -hmm. get a cave girl, Ayla, from like 65 million BC, and then it goes all the way up to sort of 23. Does she wear a bikini made out of fur? I don't think she wears a bikini, but she's definitely a sort of scantily clad cave woman. But she she's very much she's not you know because she's a cave she is a sort of stereotypically drawn Akira Toriyama anime girl but she's like she's definitely the tank of the game. Uh, so basically to this day, well to nineteen ninety eight day Raquel Welsh continues to cast a great shadow over definitely. our understanding of what dinosaurs hanging out with humans was. Well, for anyone who's seen it, you'll you'll know she pretty much looks like that. So you know you go through all these these time periods from sort of sixty five million BC all the way through to twenty three hundred AD. You know the sort of post apocalyptic future mm -hmm. after the world's been destroyed. You, you know you meet Robo there, who's sort of like a wee, a wee robot character that joins you. Um, but I mean, all these time periods are really sort of cool. You know, there's sort of antiquity where there's like a magic civilization, and then you have sort of a thousand AD and eight hundred AD, the sort of medieval and the more sort of modern societies and stuff like that. So I mean they're really sort of diverse and the the cool thing is that I'll sort of come back to is you know, you do something in one time period and it affects something in another time period and that's a very sort of cool mechanic. Um is there a lot of like flicking around between them? Uh, like like it isn't just like you've got like one chunk of the game set in that time period and then you never go back yeah, to Yeah, nah, you're constantly revisiting time periods for story quests and for side quests. Right. So you have to, you, you know, you'll do something maybe a lot earlier in the game in a time period that you know you kind of have to keep keep at the back of your mind because it might sort of affect what happens in the future later on. There are a lot of things like that. Um, so basically, you travel through all these time periods, and you, your aim is to stop um, this this sort of spacefaring sort of kaiju-looking monster called Lavos that's summoned to Earth by a, a sort of dinosaur wizard called Azala in 65 million BC and you know Lavos sort of flies around from planet to planet depleting its natural resources. Can we just pause for the phrase dinosaur wizard? Totally he's, he's a sort of dinosaur wizard, dino wizard like. I like that continue. Yeah, you should um, so Lavos buries himself into the planet in the, the deep past and then is sort of you know in 1999 he you know raises to the surface of the, 
the Earth's crust once again and rains destruction down on the planet and destroys it. Um, I really love Lavos. Like, a lot of JRPGs have these sort of really kind of mentally and emotionally sort of complex antagonists sometimes or people who have like sort of you know world domination or people who want power but Lavos is just a big fucking space parasite that wants to wreck shit and like he looks like like I said I mean he looks very kaiju he's like a big sort of hedgehog looking thing mm-hmm. with a big sort of three pronged mouth um, and then you know through a bit spoilery but you know once you sort of destroy a shell you go inside and he's a bit looks a bit more like a Dragon Ball Z villain when you get in there but he certainly doesn't seem to have much of a even personality he just wants to so he's more of a force of nature that's been summoned by this dinosaur wizard. Definitely. The the two sort of antagonists, apart from Lavos, is Zala, this dinosaur wizard, and then um, uh, Magus as well, who's a sort of brooding, scythe-wielding, vampire-looking character. Um, who also Scythes wants to are a good Lavos. shorthand for I am evil. Magus is a great character. Um, he Spoiler, he joins your party, which is good, because this is a game where like one of the primary antagonists joins your party, and obviously he's a total beast. So nice. that's good when that happens. But yeah, I love I love Lavos so much as, as a bad guy. It's just great this sort of sleeping evil that you know has no real desire to do anything apart from eat the planet. Like, so does he? I mean, you say like he sort of rises in. Is it like twenty three hundred that he rises? Nineteen ninety nine A.D. He, is the day of Lavos, as it's known. That's the sort of time period you travel to to stop him. So in the like the the. The preceding time periods, like in the the earlier time periods, is his like sort of is there like an air of malevolence as he's rising to the surface? Or no, he's asleep. Basically, he's some. You go back to sixty five million BC to stop him from being summoned, and basically you fail. Right, and then he just is asleep in the planet, waiting until he's sort of, you know, powerful enough to. So what sort of activities do you get up to in like the Middle Ages and things like that? Well, um, the first thing you do is you save a princess, which is you know <laughs> classic medieval fare, um, and you meet this swordsman who's been turned into a frog, okay. and you know frog joins your party. So um, Magus is in the sort of Middle Ages period. He's he's in 800 AD. So this is a very very sort of medieval period where you have knights and swordsmen, and you know you have this sort of evil vampire overlord who has this army of monsters. So you know every sort of time period has its own antagonist right. and its own sort of vibe like the sort of post-apocalyptic future is really depressing like really really depressing and um, there's a, a lot of bleakness in chrono trigger especially in the future you know you, you, there's sort of scattered settlements of sort of apocalypse survivors humans and you know they, they don't have any food but they have these things called enertrons which keep them alive but you know, don't sate their hunger any. Oh, so right. they're like, they've not eaten in years, but, you know, they're being kept alive by these weird kind of machines that recharge their energy. That is horrific. That's, that's like a good horror concept. That's it's excellent. so bleak. And, you know, you're you're in the future and there's this, this, a bet that always really sticks with me is, you know, you have to beat this boss, beat the security system to get down to one of the food stores because mm-hmm. they believe that, you know, sort of in their, the bottom of their dome there's a food store and you get down there and all the food's been ruined but there's sort of a corpse that has like the one remaining seed like clenched in his hand. So, I mean, like in order for elements like this to really hit home you you have to have like a, a good script especially in sort of uh, sort of 16 bit era games because you know the graphics aren't necessarily going to exactly. convey that emotion for you so how is it how's the translation um the original translation is good the ds version has a much better translation right but um chrono trigger had four writers so you mm-hmm. know they put a lot of effort in a script 
Um, the, there are a lot of endings as well. I mean, there are 13 endings. All right. Which can be sort of got from completing the game at different times. From the, from the minute you can time travel freely, you can access the last boss. Right. Which is, you know, there are a few elements of Chrono Trigger that are very sort of not JRPG typical. That's one of them. Um, you know, so if you beat Lavos at certain points of the game, you get a different ending. There's also a new game plus in Chrono Trigger, which makes it easier to get these endings. I mean, I've not seen them all, but they range from sort of comedy endings to, you know, there, there's one where if you, if you beat Lavos at a certain point before going back to stop Azala, like, you see the opening scenes of the game, only all the humans have been replaced with dinosaurs. Right. Thing, so. Nice one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really, the, the writing is really strong. You feel you feel a great emotional connection to a lot of the characters. I especially feel connected to Robo, who's this sort of... In the future, all the robots have been programmed to hate humans, and, you know, Robo, you find him in a sort of state of disrepair, and one of your party members, Luca, repairs him, and he's like, he really sort of, he protects you for the whole game. He's like a really sort of great character. Um, and he has a very sort of intense storyline where, you know, you have to fight his girlfriend as a boss. He like, kills his own girlfriend and that, which is... That's, uh, it's it's bleak. It's yeah. really bleak, but you know you really feel connected to these characters. Just in terms of that structure, so I mean, like that kind of suggests to me that like a lot of these objectives in the various time zones are are almost like side quests, which obviously sort of like have a greater yeah. or, or lesser impact on the on the final boss, which is where you get all your branching endings from. Mm. How how good is the game at compelling you to complete these side quests? Good. Um, you there's the side quests always have good rewards. They're always good item rewards. Um, for a lot of them, you're rewarded by items which give your characters unite attacks. Um, d- different party configurations will learn different unite attacks. You have three people in your party at once, mm-hmm. and there are you know a lot of combinations of like you know f- um, frog and chrono. They're both sword users. They have sort of unite attacks. And then, you know, Marl, who's the sort of magic user, her and Chrono have unite attacks where, like, he'll stick his sword in an enemy and she'll, like, you know, cast a spell on it and stuff like that. Um, so certain side quests will give you items where you can use triple techs as opposed to double techs. So, you know, three characters will be able to use a unite attack. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, that's one of the coolest things about the battle system is the unite attacks. Seeing which sort of configuration of characters have which sort of unite attack is definitely very cool. Nice there are seven characters as well, so there are you know a lot of configuration for different unite attacks. Cool. It's not it's not typical JRPG fare. Um, you know the way the battle system works. There are random encounters, but you can see all the enemies. It's one of those games where you yeah. can see the enemies. So it's not like you're walking around and suddenly you know it's, you know you're pulled into battle. So for people who don't necessarily want to be in battles all the time, you don't need to. And also, I've never had to grind in Chrono Trigger. You know, if you just fight the enemies that you're presented with, you'll have a decent challenge, but you won't have to go back and grind. That's so, so good. I it's hate grinding so, so well. Much. It's so well balanced. I mean, it's not the longest game. You'll get done in 25 hours, but mm-hmm. you know, it's 25 near perfectly balanced hours of gameplay. See that thing about sort of combat systems and things like that. That was what I was going to ask next because obviously it's a SquareSoft game, so there's there's a large franchise looming over it mm-hmm. um, how does it compare to Final Fantasy amongst the RPG community it's sort of hailed as the best of the SNES RPGs and for a lot of people it's their favourite game ever, for me it's certainly top 5, maybe even top 3 it's, I think at a time where there had been 3 Final Fantasy releases on SNES, Chrono Trigger came along as a sort of new IP for Squaresoft and people were like holy shit this is good 
like really good. It was like no kind of it done a lot of stuff that a lot of RPGs before it didn't do, um, and it certainly set a lot of precedence for a lot of stuff that came on the PS One. I feel there are a lot of PS One RPGs where you can kind of see the the Chrono Trigger influence bled over. I think it was a massive success though commercially for SquareSoft. It sold a lot of units. So did you play it at the time? Did you import it? Um, I played it on <clears throat> a SNES emulator. Um, whenever sort of emulation was a thing, it would have been when I was still in high school. So I didn't play it at the time. I didn't play it in the nineties. But yeah, it, like like I said, its main merit I think was it did a lot of things that a lot of other JRPGs didn't do. Um, this is a major spoiler. So if you don't want, like I've said a couple of spoilery things, but this is a big one. So if you don't want spoiled, I would. You know, cover your ears now. I would just say, I mean, before people make that decision, like, does the gameplay hold up enough that even if you know the plot, it, it's still fun to play? Or do yeah, you think? Definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, the, the the reason I like this plot twist so much is because the game's just like, well, this has happened, and you don't need to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So at a sort of maybe about the two third point, you fight Lavos, um, not in his final boss form, but you do fight him, and he kills Chrono, like the main character right. dies, uh-huh. and you don't. There is a mission to resurrect Chrono, but you don't have to do it. You can go and finish the game without the mm-hmm. the primary protagonist. So it seems odd that that didn't have like the sort of cultural impact that Eris in Final Fantasy VII did. Like, I mean, there's is that just like a product of this being um, a less successful game. Or? Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, with Chrono Trigger never making it to the PAL territories, mm-hmm. like I don't think we would have spent a lot of time around people that played Chrono Trigger. So maybe in Japan it was a big thing. Yeah. Like in Japan, Chrono Dying might have been a huge thing, but it certainly it's, it's the part of the game that always left me with the most kind of shit, man. Like, you know, Chrono's dead. That left you with the most shit. Yeah, totally. Man. Yeah, totally. Um, just so I'm, I'm just trying to place where you originally played this uh, in my head, like, like, in terms of timeline, for like how much of an impact this had on you at the time, I mean, like, is this like after sort of Final Fantasy Seven? Is this? Uh, I would have played. I played this after I played Final Fantasy Seven. I would have played it around sort of nineteen ninety nine, year two thousand, for the first time. Um, it was <coughs> the for anyone that's familiar with the sort of Final Fantasy packs that came out on the PlayStation. Um, you know, it's where the the bundled sort of ports of earlier Final Fantasy games mm-hmm. together. Chrono Trigger came out as a part of one of those, um, so you know, right? A- anyone that anyone that maybe had a chipped PlayStation at that point could have played Chrono Trigger, on the, which is what I did because obviously right. I had a chipped PlayStation. Uh-huh. Obviously, yeah. Um, so I play, I emulated on SNES, and then I played that PlayStation version. Um, there are a lot of versions of it though. Um, after the sort of two PlayStation versions, because um, it was released as a standalone and then as bundled as part of that Final Fantasy thing. Um, there's a DS version from 2009, actually, it's from. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it came out on Virtual Console, 2011, and there's an iOS version as well. Um, but if you play that, you are a terrible person. So um, <laughs> I will say, categorically, without a shadow of a doubt, if you're going to play this, play the DS version. It has a better translation, it has two extra dungeons, and it has an extra super boss. It is the absolute best version of the game. Mm-hmm. They managed to take a game that was amazing and make it better with, you know, an enhanced port. So you can pick it. You can pick up a copy of it for DS for twenty bucks as well. So if you're looking for something to play, you know, maybe on a DS, like while you're traveling about, or that, it's got to be Chrono Trigger because it's cheap and it is amazing. Um, part of the reason that they keep seem to making these extra versions of it is that. You know, there was always going to be... There's there's a second game in the Chrono series, Chrono Cross, which mm-hmm. um, the first time I played it didn't seem like 
much of a sequel. It seemed very confusing. But in the DS version of Chrono Trigger, they've added a lot of plot elements that sort of tie it in better to oh, Chrono right. Cross. Because people, at the time, it was always a bit of a tenuous sequel. And then there was a lot of sort of controversy when Chrono Trigger DS came out that it suddenly, you know, retconned a bunch of stuff. And it was like, made Chrono Cross a direct sequel to Chrono Trigger. So that's, that's, that's very... Uh, meta, that's very postmodern that they went back in time and uh, changed the past to affect the future of the franchise. Exactly. Um, if you played Chrono Trigger and you've not played Chrono Cross, you're missing out, so get on that. Um, but, you know, there was always supposed to be a third game as well. They'd registered the Chrono Break trademark and everything, mm-hmm. and then, you know, it got unregistered. And, you know, this has been like in the works for years and years and years that they're going to make a third Chrono game. And, you know, the Square, Square Enix chat on it is basically like, oh, you know, keep buying Chrono Trigger and we'll make you a sequel. And I've, I own a SNES copy. I actually, I bought a Japanese copy. Yeah. I own a NTSC copy of the PlayStation 1. I own a copy of the DS one and I own the iOS port and I own the virtual console version. So I've done my bit and there's still no fucking sequel. Yeah, I don't know. What else do you need to know about uh, about the desire for a third Chrono Trigger game? I know. I, the one, I don't even want to think about the amount of money I've spent on just Chrono Trigger because it is <laughs> distressing and I don't even know why I'd do it. But I... What I would say though is don't buy the iOS one. I don't want any more iOS ports of Square games. I'm sorry if you're a fan of iOS ports of Square games, but please no more. I'm I'm a fan of just mashing away at a featureless plane of glass in an attempt to make something happen. Aye, that, that's my favourite thing. I know. Uh, right, so I mean, I take it playing it now, it it still stands up. Obviously, I mean, you're you're completely still enamoured with this yeah, game. Yeah, the graphics, the pixel style is really nice. Um, there are a few environments that the future environments can be a bit sort of. It's really bleak. I mean, I think the future environments. I don't think it looks nice, but I don't think it's supposed to look nice. Mm-hmm. Like I think you're supposed to feel kind of oppressed when you're walking around the post-apocalyptic future. Um, from the PlayStation release on as well, they added some anime cutscenes, right. which helps kind of bring it up to the the modern age a bit better. You know, sort of Toriyama animated a bunch of cutscenes for them. Um, it, yeah, it does stand up well. I don't think the only thing that I don't think it maybe does so well is the music isn't completely mind-blowing right. like there are songs and pieces and themes in Chrono Trigger which are amazing which will haunt you and stick with you forever but just on the whole I don't think it quite lives up to the music of like a Final Fantasy sure um, um, I mean like I just sort of looked at some gameplay videos and stuff like that I think the environments maybe look a little sparse but uh, you know if gameplay is up to it then you you, you, you get into the get into the swing of that I suppose one thing I want to ask is just about like when you do complete it when you when you when you finish the game like what's what's the emotional payoff I mean do you see like a brighter future do you get to see the the bleakness undone or is it just no you, it's all bleakness all the time um there yeah the, I mean you've stopped La- well this is the thing this is a bit spoilery too um you've stopped Lavos so basically you know the world is safe it's not going to end in 1999 mm-hmm. anymore um, unfortunately, when you beat Lavos, he doesn't quite die. He, you you send him to the sort of darkness beyond time, where he merges with a character called Shala and becomes a thing called the Time Devourer, and basically comes back as the Time Devourer and is the antagonist of Chrono Cross. Darkness beyond the end of time. I think it's safe to say bleakness reigns towards the the last second of this game. And you were playing this while you were sort of bedridden with. Um, Horrific illness. Totally, man. I was. It was glorious. 
Yeah, sounds like have you brought down the snow as part of like incredible psychic damage on the environment? I think I probably have. I played it on. I played this time. I played it on the SNES as well. I should say. Right. Um, although I did. I recently. I bought. I bought my girlfriend a copy of the DS version, and she played it and actually finished. Like it was sort of further than I was because I was like finding it so hard to play. So I was like, <laughs> "Why are you better at this than me?" But um, she really enjoyed it too. So. So there you and go. She, she was brand new to the series, so yeah. I was like, "Fucking play this! It's the shit." So. Well, I mean, I'm definitely going to play this because uh, it sounds perfect for my gaming needs. Good man, you should. And, uh, and everyone, go and buy some form of a copy of Chrono Trigger, and maybe we will have a third sequel. And everyone can get behind that. Exactly. Right. Okay. Well, that that rounds up Chrono Trigger. I think unless there's anything else you need to add. Well, the only other thing I can think of is you know for people that may know me like my sort of production DJ alias is obviously Epoch which is uh, if no one's p- picked up on that yet it's the name of the time machine in Chrono Trigger so All right. if you're wondering where that came from that's where it came from this is how much Chrono Trigger permeates my life I named my DJ alias after the time machine from Chrono Trigger so you want a frog and a robot and Raquel Welsh to ride through time in you pretty much man I think I understand you a bit better now good And with that, let us move on. From bleak to more bleak, we will be back where Nickel will be telling us about The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Big Bleak Mask. game tell us about the legend of zelda majora's mask yes let us continue bleak cast on one more bleak yep that's it video games that used to be bleak video games that are still bleak and games that we hope you'll find bleak too (laughs) majora's mask is the was the second 3d um zelda game released in the year 2000 in all territories Mm. um Bit of a weird one when it first came out because uh, Ocarina of Time obviously um, was like the the first uh, 3D Zelda game, and there was a huge gap between SNES Zelda and first N64 Zelda. Yeah, a lot of anticipation about it um, as sort of 3D bumbled up, and uh, uh, Majora's Mask only came out one year after, uh, well, like eighteen months or something like that after Ocarina of Time. It's pretty uh, much unheard of in the world of Zelda games, really. Yeah, well, I mean the. It does use a lot of assets from Ocarina of Time. That's how they were able to do it. Its development name was Zelda Gaiden, which means Zelda Side Story. Mm. Um, uh, Like a really odd development as well, because this was around the time where Nintendo were still promising to make the 64 Double D a thing, which was Mm. kind of like an odd hard disk based mega CD. Yeah, it was like like the disk system for the N64, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it was going to have that, all that Zelda. Yeah, like Ura Zelda, like the, Zelda, yeah, the totally. Master Zelda quest and things like that. Eventually, 64 Double D did come out in Japan. Didn't come out in Europe. I don't think it came out in America. Ura Zelda never even came out in Japan, though, did it? It just never never made it. Not, out, not on Double D, but it eventually got that um, GameCube remake. Oh, yeah, the Master Quest. Yeah. I was looking into this recently, and there are people that reckon that from the Ura Zelda assets that are on the cart, that Ura Zelda and Master Quest are two completely different things. There's a sort of really active hacker scene uh-huh. for Ocarina of Time just now, so uh, worth looking into 
where from what people have garnered from the cart, they're like, hold on a minute, like the other Zelda stuff was was going to be nothing like what Master Quest ended up being. So it's kind of interesting in that. Yeah, I mean, so like obviously it's it's like different directions were taken while they were sort of mining the IP. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, like to talk about Majora's Mask yeah, itself. Yeah. Like the, I remember, I remember like the marketing of Zelda Gaiden and stuff, and how it was like it, it, the way it was sort of marketed in the UK was like it's a new Zelda game, but not quite an all new Zelda yeah. game. I mean like it definitely it's definitely an extension of Ocarina of Time. Aye. And I think at the time and still to this day there's certain people who if not dismiss it or certainly consider it less of a, a mainline Zelda game just because it's it has um less of a distinct identity from the game that came immediately before it. Aye. However I disagree with this at the time because I think Majora's Mask is the last truly creative Zelda game for me. Um, I mean, I will. I will confess, I didn't play Wind Waker because I didn't have a GameCube. But um, from what I can gather from it, apart from the art style and maybe the sailing in the Wind Waker, there's not that many differences from that to Ocarina of Time. Whereas Majora's Mask really builds in a lot of different uh, dynamics that really make it unique in a in a Zelda game. Mm. I mean, for me, like I have played little bits of. Uh, uh, Twilight Princess, which I felt was just a sort of fan servicey recreation of Ocarina of Time, it was really retreading. Mm, for me, I think Twilight Princess takes more from Majora's Mask than it does from Ocarina of Time. Certainly, thematically, they they carry a lot of the same elements in terms it's, of. But well, whether it's from Majora's Mask or Ocarina of Time, it's a retread of what came before. Yeah, uh, in, yeah. A, in a in a way like that, sort of attempting to capture that quote unquote realistic art style, which a lot of fanboys think is the one true Zelda when the cartoon is clearly more beautiful yeah um and Skyward Sword just I couldn't be bothered with it but um to get back Zelda hating Nickel yeah 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 to get back but yes Majora's Mask was and is and evermore shall be my favorite Zelda just because um it does so much with with the template the the setting of Zelda is um a land called Termina which is apparently uh a parallel world to Hyrule, where the mainline Zelda games are set, begins with uh, Link riding through a dark forest where he encounters um, a mysterious Skull Kid, uh, a, a, an odd, twisted figure who is a really interesting antagonist because um, he seems to be just kind of like a cowardly, slightly buoyed yeah, kid. Yeah, you feel bad for him, Link. Um, who has acquired... Um, this mask, Majora's mask, which uh, is full of ancient and powerful evil, and uses it to basically go around taking out his rage issues on the entire land. And what he does is, uh, like, the setting of the field has a, a central town called Clock Town with lands all around it, and we're approaching um, the Carnival of Time, which is like an annual festival in this town, which should be a happy time, which is like clearly like the the biggest sort of moment of everybody's year here. But uh, what Skull Kid is doing is he's dragging down this huge piece of rock from the sky, which people refer to as a moon, but it's only barely the size of a town. So I think, hmm. it's, I think seriously, it's actually more of a of a, an asteroid or possibly a meteorite, depending. But it's not a moon, and it's got a great big face on it, and it's scary as anything. But um, yeah, he's pulling it down, and it's it's literally this giant thing in the sky which looms over the entire game. Uh, and the way the game gets structured is you emerge into Clock Town three days before the the moon is due to to hit the town and destroy everything. 
and you're kind of locked into those three days for the for the remainder of the game. Uh-huh. You can play through them and you complete certain aspects of the game, but until you have collected everything, until you've unlocked everything that you need to defeat Skull Kid and to defeat Majora's Mask and break out of the three-day cycle, you're constantly having to go back to the start of the three days and resetting everything. What are the how? Do, sorry, what are the sort of ways of getting back? Can you get back to the start at any sort of time? Yeah, are there yeah, m- you, multiple ways of getting back to the start of the cycle? No, it's just the one. You've got the the Ocarina of Time, which controls the the flow of things. So you you go back to the start of the three day cycle and uh, move out. So like in the first the first thing that happens is that Skull Kid curses you into the form of a Deku, which is like a wee sort of ambulatory tree thing. Yeah. Um, so you're trapped in this tiny little powerless form and you're trapped inside the town's limits for the first day um, and as you go around talking to townsfolk you can see that they're, they're wanting the, the carnival to happen they're wanting things to be good but they can see this giant rock looming in the sky as it gets closer and as the days go past the sense of powerlessness um, really like encapsulates you because you can't leave the town you can't get away from this giant rock you can't get away from the people who can only see looming destruction for everything they have. Some yeah. people evacuate, some people stay. Yeah, a lot of people stay. are in denial, I recall. A lot of folk are just like, that's fine, it's fine. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people like uh, who are clearly like merchants or carpenters who've got a lot of light and stake financially about the carnival who say, no, it should just go ahead. Like, that rock's not going to fall out of the sky, that things like that don't happen. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like you, you get to the end of the three-day cycle, you confront Skull Kid on the top of a tower in the middle of the town, and there's literally nothing you can do to stop him. All you can do is grab your ocarina, go back three days, and try again and again and again to mm. uh, to uh, defeat him. There are sort of I recall the other ocarina, like the ocarina tunes. You have sort of more time manipulation songs. You can make time speed up and make time slow down within the three day cycle. Yeah. So a lot of stuff has a really I recall a really narrow window within the three day cycle where you can complete certain objectives. Yeah. Well, th- this is the thing. I mean, like the. The the, the, the the Zelda guide and the Zelda side story aspect of the development name also refers to the basically the structure of the game. Um, in terms of like sort of what you would traditionally understand as a Zelda game, there's only four main dungeons, mm-hmm. um, which are. But uh, next to that, there's all these um, side quests. Now, the the main aspect of the game is collecting masks, which either have. Uh, like the the main masks are ones that transform you. Like in that first day where you're trapped as the, um, the Deku. as the Deku, like you get um a, 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 you learn a tune on your on your ocarina which heals you and turns like that Deku spirit into a mask which uh-huh. you can then put on at any time and take the form of the Deku. And the Deku has powers of uh, so being able to jump into wee flowers and float over the sky. Mm-hmm. We can skip over water and it's got its its little power set. And these are like in terms of the items that you can actually get. There's no new weapons per se, but these masks are your weapons. Yeah, so yeah, the first okay. dungeon then um, is set in the Gorons, which are like the big sort of mountain-dwelling, rock-eating troll-like things. Uh-huh. Uh, and you get one of. It, it's weird how you get these masks. These masks are always the souls of, of other people who yeah, have died. Of dead heroes of their tribe. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like the the Deku scrub is like this. Like you meet a butler later on in like the sort of Deku palace, and it turns out like his son went missing a few months ago. Yeah, and totally. you learn that it was like his boy that Skull Kid killed. I love the Deku. The Deku's have so much personality. I love like the Deku princess and that. And yeah, then the yeah. Deku butler are great. They're totally great. Yeah, um, and then after that, you've got the Goron. You 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 take like the soul like. Um, 
Skull Kid is uh, uh, cursed the mountains so that they're in constant winter, and like the the Goron sent one of their heroes to try oh. and solve it. Oh, I've just remembered the absolute bleakest thing about Majora's Mask is how you know when you beat the dungeon, you beat a dungeon, and then the environment returns to how it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. and then you go back to the start of the cycle, and it's all fucked again. Yeah, that's so depressing, man. That's I honestly couldn't deal with that. Yeah, well, you, well, that's the thing. Like, you go through, like, you'll get like your three day chunk with like your objective, <sighs> which is normally to like conquer that dungeon. Um, and you do it, and it's fine, but you haven't got enough power to defeat Majora, so you have to go back to the start of three days, and everything's reset, and you start feeling trapped in the cycle. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's got that whole thing about Groundhog Day, where like Bill Murray just sort of, like no matter what he does, no matter what he accomplishes, it goes back. So you said, I mean, this isn't one of the sort of collect three things, something happens, collect seven things, Zelda game, so what what, so what do you get from completing these four these four dungeons? How do they sort of contribute towards? Well, the, the main thing that you get, like the, the structures, well, before each dungeon you'll have um, some activity, like there's like four worlds around Clock Town, uh-huh. uh, a swamp, uh, a beach, mountains, and a desert, uh, and Skull Kid has cursed each of these in some specific way uh-huh. to sort of mess up the environment or mess up the people that are there. You've got to do something to help them out, and then complete the dungeon, which sort of clears that environment. And what it turns out is that the bosses in each of these dungeons are like um, the spirits of four giants who who helped to build the land, okay. and they've been cursed and trapped inside evil masks by Skull Kid. Uh, and what you actually find out in the story is that Skull Kid used to be a friend of these giants, like like literally like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They were uh-huh. friends, they hung out, but the giants had to go off into the land to like build it or something. You know, some sort of mystical stuff that you know yeah. the uh, vaguely defined mythical powers have. <laughs> yeah, totally. And Skull Kid felt abandoned and alone, uh, and he and when he got this mask that could destroy the world he uh, he decided to to take out his frustration yeah when he, when he conveniently conveniently happened to stumble across majora's mask nothing <laughs> nothing to do with the fact that the happy mask salesman is definitely some sort of overarching antagonist like yeah he's he's pretty terrifying like, equally terrifying in ocarina of time as well it's definitely the most unsettling of the zelda characters just that um animation tick of him like this this guy who owns all the um the masks who, who skull kid mugged in order to get this powerful mask um just this guy wanders the land with like a bag full of magic masks uh but he has a this this thing while he's talking to you he'll leap from one stance to the other so he'll be sort of like happy and smiling and leaning over and then in the next frame with no transition he's like leaning in um and big angry face yeah he's, he's terrifying range like. when he finds out that you you can't save the world yet there, yeah there's definitely hints there, there's hints of sin like not even really hints he's blatantly so sinister like, yeah absolutely I, I always felt like playing it that he was maybe you know he was maybe the orchestrator of it all. It's like, oh, he's nicked my mask. Go and get my mask back. Like, you sure he nicked it? Are you sure? <laughs> well, that's the way they tell the story. Totally. No, it but, is good. Um, um, but, you know, like, but the nice thing about the game is, like, in amongst of all this, this, this bleakness is there is a really hopeful element to it as well. Like, mm. one of, like, one of the major factors that make it, make the game so unique is that, um, there's 20 characters within the game, most of them based in the town, but some of them based outside in the wider world, who have issues themselves that you help out. There's this little group of young boys within the town called the Bombers. The Bombers. Who's, like, their whole thing is to find people, find out their problems, and help them. Mm-hmm. So they give you this diary once you join them, where, like, you note down 
all the people that you meet who have issues and they have like their sort of timelines throughout the three days and like with like sort of specific events where you can help them out. Aye. Now for some of them it's like uh, like the the reward is uh, you know a specific item like there's the the old woman who runs the bomb shop in the town and she's coming home at like sort of 2am on the first night and Uh she gets mugged by a thief who takes away the large bomb bags that she's meant to be selling in the shop. Okay. So if you're there to stop the thief, then she doesn't get mugged by a thief and you're able to the next day buy a larger bomb bag, which sort of stays with you throughout the rest of the time. Mostly though, there's these... There's these sort of smaller masks that don't have the transformative effects that the uh, the Deku, the the Goron, or the the Zora mask, which I didn't get around to talking about, um, all have on you. They're sort of like smaller powers, like they enable you to find sort of different secrets in the world, or you can run a bit faster. And like, mostly they don't have that huge an impact in the gameplay, mm-hmm. but they're nice little rewards in themselves. And this network of people that you're you're finding and helping. It just makes you feel so much more connected to the world that that Link's running around in than than any of the other games because you can see people's stories um, evolve their fears about the 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 moon falling and things like that and then if you help them, just how much happier they are. I, I love it. I, I love I love how on Zelda that that was at the time as well. You know the the sort of bomber's handbook and you know the relationship that characters have with other characters. I love like the the sort of the the kid with the zombie dad. Yeah, like, that's a great side quest. And then there's the the, the the sort of Anju in Cafe One as well. You get the the lover's mask and that. I mean, that's great. Yeah, such great quest. Well, like, the Anju in Cafe One is is interesting. It kind of reveals part of the um, the frustrations about the structure as well, because like most of these mask quests have like one maybe two events that you can complete in a single three day cycle. Uh-huh. Anju in Cafe. Um, like there's, there's there are a young couple who are due to get married on the like the day of the carnival of time, um, but Skull Kid uh, captured the the guy cafe and uh, trapped him in the body of a child, so he's hiding in shame, and uh, Andrew the girl doesn't know where he is, and like people think that cafe's just checking out, he's got cold feet and he's run away, mm-hmm. so she has, I mean she's despairing, but she has this quiet confidence that like she doesn't at first she doesn't know. What's happened? She just feels really abandoned. Mm-hmm. But um, if you can find her, if you can do something to help Cafe, then um, a letter gets delivered to her so she can see that he's okay, he's actually yeah. there. And like, there's about half a dozen different steps between building their relationship, making sure they're both in the right place, getting communication between them. But you can't like you need certain items and certain developments in the story and access to certain parts of the land in order to do it. So. Not knowing that you need all these things means that when you're actually playing the game, you'll get as far as you can and realise that you can't complete it and you've got to go back yeah. and go back and go back and redo the first parts of this quest over and over again. It's one of the, uh, that's one of the sort of more end game quests, that one, I think, eh? Yeah, it absolutely is, because the, the very last moment of it happens like in the half hour before the world ends, um, where you finally manage to reunite them and he's still stuck in like the body of a wee, wee boy the moon's looming, everything's going to end, and they decide, well, we're going to get married anyway, because... Awesome. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the most sort of, like, yes! Yeah. Um, but, yeah, oh, and, like, the, the animation, like, if you... Like, normally, if you get to, like, the end, like, the last sort of, like, 20 minutes before the world ends, you'll just warp back to the beginning of the first day to, like, complete the next bit. But if you let it go, you're treated to this 
horrible animation of this giant looming rock over the town just crushing down, surrounded in flames, hitting the town and destroying everything, and a wave of fire comes over Link and everything fades to black. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and then it's just back to the title screen with that fucking creepy mask coming yeah, at you. Absolutely, and creepiness is actually one of the other themes that I want to talk about in the... Ah, there's a, there's a particular bit that I hope you're going to mention that freaks me out. Like, well, I'm I'm, I'm talking more creepiness as in, oh, this is the first game that has tingle in it. Oh, totally, totally, oh. totally. He has yeah, infected totally. Infected so many Zelda games beyond. He got his own game. He did. And tingle, if you're not initiated, is a 35 year old human who's just decided that he's a fairy, so he dresses in like weird green pajamas and dances around. He's clearly very simple yeah he's a cartographer as well is he not yeah well he sells maps yeah. and, and he he floats above the ground in a like a balloon and if you want to talk to him you've got to burst his balloon so he falls to the ground so he's just very strange there an old man dressed as a like you know a prepubescent fairy uh-huh. watching from his balloon there's uh He's so creepy, man. Yeah, he is a weird, weird guy. I tell you, the thing that creeps me out most in Majora's Mask is like on the ranch. Mm-hmm. There's like I think it's in the night of the second day. Um, there's there's sort of there's there's stories about cattle going missing, yeah. and you show up on the night of the second day, and there's like all these aliens. Yep. Appear, and then you have to like there's a kind of archery mini game where you kill the aliens. But the creepiest thing about that is like if you don't do it and you go back on the third day. Like, there's, was it Malin and Talon or the two ranch girls? Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, but like, anyway, one of them's been captured and the other one's completely catatonic when you go and try and talk to her in the third I day. I don't think she's like, been captured, but yeah, certainly the younger girl, she, like, she won't speak uh, to you. She, like, she just sits there and, like, there's some sort of weird echo through time. She's like, she, like, looks at you sort of like, why weren't you there? Yeah, totally. Like, even if you haven't done it. And, like, if you fail, creepy, like. the animation of the aliens abducting the cows is the weirdest thing you'll see. Like, like it's just, like, beaming them out. Yeah, the, the, the cows are just, sort of, like, hanging up. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the odd aspects of the, of, of the game. But that's actually right. kind of... That's sort of part of that whole um, world that it builds up with the people sort of talking. Because if you do complete that, the next day you go in after and uh, the older sister gives you a ride into town. Uh, on her on her milk cart, and while you're doing that, she sort of talks about how you know it's been hard for them on the ranch because their father passed away, and it's just her and her younger sister looking after things, and mm. the younger sister's getting obsessed with these aliens are coming to abduct the cows every year. And she looks up and she sees the moon over town, and she's like, "My friend's meant to be getting married, but we don't know what's going to happen." Yeah, um, it looks like her husband's run out on her. Everything's just so hard. Do you think the world will really end? Would that solve our problems? Would it be different? And like. You just feel so connected to the the helplessness of these characters, and actually does more to build up the idea of Link as a hero than almost anything in any other game. Yeah, I agree. Because you know you're seeing like the direct benefit that he has in the lives you're, of these I mean, people. Around. You spend the whole game playing as young Link as well. Like you know, mm-hmm. you, you never make that adult transition. So it's very much a case of you're just a wee boy that saves the world, and that's totally cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like in terms of the the items, like the actual mechanics of the game, the the main masks, the ones that transform you into the different creatures, those are really fun. Like the, the exploring the physicality of the the Goron and the Zora, especially, are great. The Goron has this ability to sort of curl on a ball and roll like a sort of free flowing tire. Mm. Um, 
and quite often when you're on those sort of like time sensitive missions, you'll have to like kill a couple of in game hours. So you just roll around the field as the as the Goron totally. just sort of like and like that sort of speed and power. They, 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 rem- so they remove the sort of running about the field chore. And then mm-hmm. I think the Zora mask certainly removes the swimming chore because swimming in Zelda is a total. I would say Zim- swimming in most games is is a total chore, but right. um, like the being the the Zora, being like the the sort of fish creature that's designed to do it, is just so graceful and so right. much fun. So satisfying. Yeah, um, and that's actually sort of ties me into like the last thing that I really want to talk about <laughs> with the game is for me. What makes Majora's Mask so special is the fact that it's full of lots of little moments that stay with you for for sort of so long. Like there's because of the sort of repetitiveness of it and like the interconnected community. I mean, one of the things that gets me is like on the morning of the second day, every day it rains, and it's like the most sort of captivating metaphor for what's going on there. Mm. You can't control the weather. You can't stop it. It's always going to rain on the second day. It's always going to be there. The sky's always going to darken. There's always going to be water falling down. No matter what you've helped, what you've said or anything, every time you go back and you get to the second day, it's going to rain. Mm. And that rain just sort of, like, it's a real sort of constant reminder of this cycle that you're on, that you're desperately trying to break. Um, There's also, like, a really nice design thing in that at the start of every day, screen just goes black and it just says in really stark white text, dawn of the first day. Makes that noise. Yep. Yeah, um, which we'll play now. Dawn of the first day, dawn of the second day, and then most sort of heartrendingly, dawn right. of the f- final day. Seventy-two hours. No, yeah, yeah, twenty-four hours remain. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's a really simple thing, but it stays with you. Things like that, like the aliens, like they're like a weird sort of side story, but they're so distinctive and so, odd. Yeah, for so, a non, so non-Zelda. Uh, the soldiers are a really interesting aspect. Like the guys who guard around um, Clock Town, yeah, because they're duty bound to stay there. Yeah, and like, like if you try to leave the town on the first day, they'll be like, "Sorry, it's dangerous out in the field. You're just a child. You can't go out there." Oh, but then they see you've got a sword, so you must be an adult and you're allowed to go. But they're all business on the first day, and the second day they're starting to get a bit more worried. Mm-hmm. And the final day, they're just like, "If you value your safety, evacuate. Get out of here." I would if I could, yeah. but I have to stay. And um, yeah, there's that. Oh, and the band actually, like th- this is the thing. Like, um, you've obviously got your ocarina and your link, but with the different masks that you wear, um, you get different instruments. Like the uh, the Deku Scrub's got like a set of pipes. Aye. The um, uh, the Goron's got drums, and the uh, the Zora's got a guitar. Which incidentally, apparently Jackson made a limited edition real life version of his guitar. This seven string metal as anything looking fish guitar. It's Horrible. Yeah, horrible. I bet it sounds horrible. Jackson guitars aren't great to begin with, no, but no. oh, like, it's but a bit, if you hair metal, like it's it's so hair metal. But uh, aye, definitely, uh, it's definitely rocking. Aye, aye. possibly with a W and a K. But um, there's a there's a section of like um, there's like a nightclub in the town where you have like a quest where you sort of stand up on the stage and like you play a wee bit of a melody from a song on your ocarina mm-hmm. in one spotlight you're like sound checking for uh, like that's the in game explanation you're sound checking for the manager of the band <clears throat> and you do like you play like individual little parts on all your instruments mm-hmm. sort of separately and then it all comes together like uh, all four of you appear on stage at the same time and this song sort of builds and like you know as musicians that's a really effective yeah moment. i remember that too i love the 
I love the final, like when you sort of go, as you go, you go inside the moon, or you go to the yeah, rock. That's the, that's the last thing. The yeah, rock, you, the moon. I love, I love that that shot where like the sort of meadow and the children sitting around the tree. That's like a really un Zelda kind of shot as well for me. Yeah, that's so really that's empty and yeah, that, quiet. That's and like total, total like you know, kind of shadow of the colossus levels of kind of holy shit this is a really beautiful part of a game like, yeah exactly just like that really weird how you like, like it's one of those things where like you're you can move away from the tree but you never get any further away from it yeah you're yeah. like i love yeah, that it's man. like that sort of uh, mario infinite staircase yeah, sort of thing i love it it's great and like the way the sort of lightning is it looks kind of really soft focus in that yeah because um, that's such a great contrast to how the rest of the game is in terms of like yeah, well, it's the, it's the bleakest part of the game. It's the final battle, and yeah. it's the most and you go inside the moon, and it's quiet, like ah. um, moment. And on there, you've got these little children who are wearing the masks of the bosses that you've mm. defeated. Um, and these children actually look like younger versions of the Happy Mask salesman. So there you go. There should we? Uh, tie so in. they do. I forgot about that. Which is an interesting structure, actually, at the end of the game there, because. Um, like you don't like again, kind of like Chrono Trigger. You don't have to complete all the side quests. You don't have to complete it, gathered all like the lesser masks yeah. in order to fight the final boss. But if you do, you can go to each of these little sort of children wearing the masks of the defeated bosses, and in exchange for a certain amount of masks, like eventually you have to trade in all twenty of the the lesser masks that you've completed. Uh-huh. If you trade them all in, you get these sort of um, sort of mini dungeons. Where you're like chasing these these kids through them, like okay. there's various tasks to do, and if you complete all four of those, you get the final mask of the game, which is called the Fierce Deity Mask, mm-hmm. which converts you into basically like adult Link, but with like more sort of magical oomph. But yeah, oh, like in the last moment, the last like really arresting moments, one of the masks you get is called the Giant's Mask, which is what you use to take on the fourth of the mainline bosses. Which turns you into a giant kaiju link in the middle of the desert fighting awesome. these two giant flying worms. Awesome. Which is a, a great feeling of like, just like power and things yeah. like that. People often seem to forget that Majora's Mask exists because folk are always going on about like, oh, Zelda, you know, it's the same same shit every time and that. But here you have a Zelda game with no Zelda, no Triforce, no, yeah, like, no Ganon. No Ganon, like none of that. None of, it has none of the, well, apart from Link and Epona, it has. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, it's more like the sort of um, handheld Zelda games, exactly. again, like the ones that tend to be developed by Capcom. Exactly. Um, but it's it's still really epic in scope. I mean, people will, will criticise the fact that there's only really four dungeons in it compared to like the six or eight that you'd normally expect. And it's again, still not a short game, though. I mean, I, I recall it taking me the same amount of time as Ocarina of Time did. Maybe more in your case, obviously. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, you well, non-completionist. Yeah. Well, because the... Um, the side quests are such a big and important part of the game. Like the actual time you spend playing it is is just as long. And I think you know because of that variety in gameplay, more interesting. Did you play it on N sixty four then? I did. Yeah, I played okay. my my original copy. Where can you, it's available on Virtual Console? I'm yep. sure, right? Yes, it is. Uh, internet, well, supported three DS, but yeah, um, I think that's the only official way to get it now. Like um, it came on that, the re- came on the disc, the the GameCube. Yeah, the Master Zelda came with, thing came with Wind Waker. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was like a special edition of Wind Waker had yeah. the Master Zelda Quest, which had. Ocarina of Time, Master Quest, and Majora's Mask. I recall that version has has issues with the sound, though. I don't think the, the port has like sound issues and stuff, so probably still best to play it on N64 or yeah, Virtual absolutely. Console, I guess. Um, in terms of how it holds up today... Um, looks good. Add that memory, um, add that memory expansion, eh? So I think yeah. it looks a lot better than Ocarina of Time. Though. It looks better than Ocarina of Time, but I think 
And this is heartbreaking because N64 was such a great era for me at the time. I think N64 has aged the worst out of possibly any console in history. Really? Just, yeah, because like, the textures are so rough and everything's so blocky. It's such low resolution compared to you know, the art style you can get away with in 2D games and the refinements of later 3D ones. It's, it's right at the start of that technology. I mean, it, like, there are moments like the design of things are great, um, but it looks rough. And in terms of music itself, slightly disappointing because a lot of the themes from, uh, like music themes from Ocarina of Time are reused. Some of the like the original stuff, like there's a couple of bosses, like there's the, the first boss you fight has got this sort of weird like um, Aztec theme to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that sort of comes into the into the music of his dungeon. The boss music is just the boss music. Yeah. Um, so that's quite nice, but um, the main problem is like the really honking MIDI instruments, the voices that they use for all the the voices, of the instruments that your masks yeah, guys use. Yeah. I mean, especially the the Deku pipes. Like I play saxophone, so the, <laughs> yeah, the mi- tone mid- MIDI wind instruments must be your. Oh, the sound of a MIDI tenor sax just drives me mad because it doesn't sound like anything let it be known that the two things that will never sound good in midi are saxophones and electric guitars oh, saxophone yeah. in particular there's just something about a midi sax that screams cheap like yeah. it just makes you want to tear your ears off yeah like. it's just that really thin razor tone <laughs> <sort of talking. laughs> uh, is horrible oh, yeah disgraceful um and ah, unfortunately so a lot of the music is based on those sort of midi tones so ah, yeah, yeah um it, but yeah, I mean, it still stands up though. Like, um, like as a game, like, uh, like I say, at the time, I I loved it for being different. I loved the anticipation, like, like the anticipation of it. I wasn't so sure because it looked so similar to to Ocarina, and like there was just this feeling that it was just going to be a side expansion of it. Yeah. When it came, the amount of things it did differently made it really worthwhile and like so memorable. Good, good. So there we go. We've both managed to. Travel back in time and save the world. Yeah. Oh, and uh, well, just to like round up. I mean, it's kind of spoilery. Whatever. It's the ending of a Zelda game. Like um, one of those moments that do stay with you. Like I say, like uh, when you go through your cycle, you get the black screen and the white text, saying uh, like Dawn of the fi- First Day, Dawn of the Final Day. When you complete the game, it's white screen, black text, saying Dawn of a New Day. Oh yeah. And it's just like yeah, we made it. Yeah. Not that you've seen that though, because you never completed it though. I did you watch it on YouTube. Absolute coward. <laughs> I watched it on YouTube just to remind me. And you get to see like all the people you've helped. You get to see the wedding happening and oh, everyone good. just being oh, good. glad. Apocalypse averted. Yeah, Z- Link saves the day. Cool. So now we're going to ask our, our Twitter mates and our Tumblr mates some questions about video games and the end of the world. So we'll see what they had to say about that, shall we? Video games! <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we we uh, we reached out to you. We'll be doing this every episode, so keep an eye out for it in the weeks before. Um, you can always keep in touch with us uh, on Twitter. I am at Nicole Hay. I am at No Stopping Epoch. Uh, and we also have the the Tumblr, which I'm, I'm going to take a little time. Out. I'm going to plug the Tumblr again, again. But like, we enjoy the Tumblr. Our it's Tumblr. got all the gifts on it. It's well good. Yeah, it's a uh, one more go podcast and uh, it's not like a regular Tumblr. We don't post pictures of our dicks on it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, maybe a bit of a letdown, but yeah, compared to like ninety percent of what you go to Tumblr for, you're yeah. not going to get it. But like, um, like all all throughout 
the the month I'll be posting like little uh, video gamey gifs and snippets but uh, specifically gamey mm, like a nice like yeah, a nice yeah it's got a real rich tang to Aye. it yeah but uh Specifically around each episode, I'll uh, sort of put together little photo sets and make gifts for myself of the particular games. Original Tumblr content from yeah. Nicole Hay. This is what you're getting from our Tumblr. And it's it's been popular. Like I did a, a gif of that um, Valdo ending from uh, Soul totally. Blades. Uh, people have really enjoyed that. Good, That's man. got a good response. Good. But uh, yeah, but we'll also have the ass box open. So if you want to... The ass you... box. We'll also yeah. have the ass box open where you can send us pictures of your ass. Again, 90% of what happens on Tumblr. But, ah, uh, you know, specifically what we're looking for is responses to the questions that we ask on each episode. Or, you know, if you've just got any other retro video gamey stuff you want to fire at us, do that. Enjoy the Tumblr. Enjoy the Tumblr. It's Tumblrs that we used to love, Tumblrs that we still love, and Tumblrs that we hope that you'll love too. Tumblr. Tumblr. Um, so, yeah, we, we asked you guys uh, two questions. First of all, was um, you worded this very well. This was a question I spent a lot of time trying. How, how do I word this so yeah. you can read this question out if you, you've got uh, it? I've got it in front of me. Um, yes, we'd like you to tell us which game would you like to go back in time and play for the first time again? No. Ah! <laughs> I worded it, but I can't read See, it. See, this is this is why it's like this is a hard one. Like, which game would you like to go back in time and play for the first time again? What 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 do you want to erase all your memories of and experience it again? Like make the make it the first time. We, every we've time. all felt that I'm sure. I've certainly felt that while playing games. I've been like, oh, I wish I could play this. Or yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, so you, um, you want to read out some of your responses you got? Yeah, there? Um, a lot of like just sort of like um, one word responses. Um, Andy Thomas comes back with Planscape Torment, which I've not played myself, but I understand it's just a big sort of complex Western RPG. And I get the 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 sort of you know, um, thought process behind that. When you've got like games that are so narrative-y, totally. then you know you want to, you you know, you won't get that with Chrono Trigger now that we've completely spoiled everything about totally. it. But uh, you big, know, it's big, uh, big nostalgia title for folk, I think. Um, sensible soccer, which was one of the first of many football responses that me as a football writer got from my football constituency. Well, I got a football answer as well. Yeah. So. So, Graham White says that he'd like to play Metal Gear Solid for the very first time. There were a the few. The twists, the turns, the fourth wall breaking. Oh, man. Yeah, there were a few Metal Gear Solids. Is Metal Gear Solid, is that the, the one that has the uh, the boss where you have to use the second controller port because he curses the first yeah, one? Yeah, Psycho Man, it's read your memory card in that. Yeah. Tells right. you about all the Konami games you've been playing. <laughs> I've, I've never been a huge fan of Metal Gear Solid, so I've not experienced One, that I'm sure, like, he, if you have, like, uh, Suicoden memory, Vandal Hearts memory and stuff, he's, like, talks about them. That. Talks about your so great you like taste. Suicoden. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I never, I never really got into Metal Gear. I hate stealth. I don't have the patience for it. Yeah, you're not a very stealthy person. No, I'm a, I'm a lumbering mess. What else we got? Um, right, well, we, then we've got uh, Dean Smith, who says Day of the Tentacle. Um, okay, we love that. That'd be on your list, certainly. Um, I don't know about playing it again for the first time. I mean, certainly with comedy, generally, like you know, most of the time jokes don't get funnier the more you hear them. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I suppose the plot of the the tentacle isn't so twisty and turny that you want to like uh, get a greater appreciation of it from uh, knowing what's going to come. There's not yeah. lots of foreshadowing in it, so yeah, definitely, I I can see the uh, the appeal of that. Chris Bell says Little Big Adventures. Um, the game, first game whose story captured my imagination and the world was so rich. Um, again, I've not played Little Big Adventures, but yeah, that's exactly what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, re-exploring a world for the first time is always a great thing. Like Marky of Astora 
says, Link to the Past. I've played it so many times I can basically remember the game inside out. And he puts a wee sad face. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I think especially with Zelda games, just sort of knowing that the cool bit's coming up. I mean, there's so much yeah. gameplay involved in Zelda games that I don't think having, like, story elements spoiled is such a big deal. Totally. How do you no, feel I, about that? I kind of agree with that, to be honest. I do know what it's like to play a game to the point where you're just totally on autopilot, though, and that can be a bit bleak. Okay. Right, I, so I, I, I got a few. Um... TD1138 says God of War, breathtaking. I haven't played God of War, so I don't know if it is breathtaking or not. It never seemed like my thing, but it's one of those things where people alike think it's good, so I probably should play it. So noted TD1138. Yeah. Um, I got uh, G Scott 7 says Breath of Fire 3, the first RPG fell in love with. I think RPGs are a lot. I got a lot of RPG responses. Well, RPGs don't tend to have that same replay value. Agreed, so because it's, they're so story driven. Yeah. Except know. for Chrono Trigger, obviously. Of course. Rap Sensation, Heterosexual Ruth says, would love to play SSX3 again, gliding down that mountain with a dreamy remix of Ryksop's Poor Leno, Fab. Again, so there you go. Yeah, again, like... That'd be like a bit like replaying, games, re- like, yeah, like replaying a Tony Hawk game for that music nostalgia as well. It's kind of... Yeah, can absolutely. relate to that. Well, like. those are different. Again, those are different sensations. I mean, like, the, the, uh, the nostalgia of reliving those memories is a different thing from just... Uh, that first bit of discovery when you... I mean, like, especially with SSX, because there wasn't any sort of sports games that had that sort of sense of speed and totally. uh, control uh, before. So, mm. yeah, definitely. like the, Interestingly, SSX3, though, specifically. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I suppose there was at least two games that had a similar gameplay style totally. before that. Very specific heterosexual Ruth. We dig it. <laughs> um, Manly J Panda says, Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. He'd love to be doing Psychomantis all over again, which we've already discussed. So, yeah, man, we're with you. Um, Joe SFF says Super Metroid when it was brand new which yeah because Metroid's one of those ones again once you know what's coming it's diminished somewhat mm-hmm. so that'd be a great one to play again from the start um, Tony Chandler says Uncharted 2 which I can totally relate to because first time I played Uncharted was Uncharted 2 sorry yeah great so many set pieces in that as well Hi. it's like, like a movie it's like watching a well I, I don't like to say it's like a movie because it's very much a game but yeah the cinematic element of it is totally the first time you witness it you're just like yes so yeah I can agree with that um, Joseph Blythe here um, a lot of answers from him um, he's at West End Ouija um, he initially said Perfect Dark so he could recapture the sense of joy um, playing, playing as we bro in the multiplayer for the first time again but then he went on to say or Skies of Arcadia um, mm-hmm. Massive RPG, definitely yep. understandable. Yeah. Theme um, developing, but then he went on to say Res. Um, he never really heard electronic music or seen visuals like it, and it fried his brain a bit. And I think he liked that. So Res is so good. I'm doing Res one of these days. Res is amazing. We should do Res and Vib Ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, Joseph Blythe there, he would just spend, you know, he'd go back in time just on a mission of replaying games. Yeah, sounds good like man, to me, like, good man. Well, I don't know, I'm maybe a little bit worried about Joseph Blythe, maybe there's uh, something going on in his life just now. Maybe video games can't save everything, Joseph. Didn't uh, listen to this cowboy, they, de- <laughs> they definitely can. <laughs> um, Socket Joe says, his obvious answer would be Ocarina of Time, but his less obvious answer would be Grandia 2. So again, Grandia 2 is great, so again, you know, two sort of... RPG, massive storyline type. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Bitsocket Scott says uh, Wind Waker, which 
I again completely agree with the experience of being a wee boy going on this massive adventure all controlled by a bigger boy with a mullet <laughs> cheers for that one Scott well you you've Scott, got more why don't you still have a mullet like immediately get this mullet on the go why don't you still have a mullet no no I was I did have a mullet when I played Wind Waker you so, had an epic mullet so Scott if you actually had a mullet whilst you played Wind Waker for the first time we may have lived the same adolescence <laughs> um, two mullets joined through time totally Sonic Yoda says he'd be interested in playing games that he experienced a lot later, um, like Shenmue, Sonic CD, so I think, again, that's a good answer. Certainly playing stuff in the time period it came out I think would be really good, because a lot of the retro games we've played, we've obviously played a lot later, mm-hmm. and like imagine going back to like 1985 and playing Super Mario Brothers for the first time. Uh, like- absolutely. So the second question we asked you was, you know, if you knew the apocalypse was coming up, um, what game would you be playing to? best prepare you for that situation and I think we thought we were going to get a lot of Fallout Fallout 2 Fallout 3 answers but we actually got a pretty decent spectrum of answers so yeah. um, Evil Ninja Phil says um, SimCity for post-apocalyptic sort of lifestyle as it would uh, help us to rebuild cities and shit which I think is pretty pretty fair point yeah absolutely um, Simon the Sonic Mole as always offers us a, an absolute peach with a uh, the Zetai Zetsume Toshi series, which neither of us actually knew what it was, so we looked into it, and it's a, so it seems pretty interesting, a game where you're in a city being pounded by natural disasters. Yeah, it's like that, um, uh, what was that earthquake one? It was called I Will Survive? Uh, uh, yeah. Then there's like Disaster Day Crisis and mm. all that kind of chat. And then the ones where like ants take over the world. Totally. Sim ant. Yeah. <laughs> Just to go back and like the Sim City thing, like if we did actually use Sim City to guide the rebuilding of Earth, didn't that mean like, didn't that mean like every city on Earth, like the capital of America, would be Bumtown? Yeah, pretty much. Like I'd live in Bumtown, USA. Titsville, Paris. With an acute. So yeah, I mean that shit put hairs on your chest. Zetai Zetsumitoshi. So cheers, Simon. Obscure as always. This is why we feature you as a one more go regular. And cheers to uh, Barry for spending half an hour off air practicing his pronunciation of that game title. I'm getting better with Japanese pronunciation. Um, it's English pronunciation I struggle with. <laughs> uh, Manly J Panda says Dark Souls, obviously, because Dark Souls fucking doesn't he just put hair on your chest? It puts hair all over your body. Like. Yeah, you become a, a walking ball of manly hair. Pretty much, it's like contrast. It has the contrast effect, I think. Um, Alexander Walsh Alexander P. Walsh says Tetris I think that's pretty pretty good one he says sort of general mental agility would be more useful than a game developer's idea of post-civilization skills my god he's actually thought about that I like it yeah yeah Tetris is when so you have useful to, when you have to pack all your tinned food into your survival <laughs> backpack as well that would probably be pretty handy again when you're rebuilding like walls out of uh oddly shaped bits of brick that are left over after the giant ants exactly. have stormed through Titsville. Can we, can we drop C-bombs on this show? Uh, wait, Let's not. Th- we'll, 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 um, we'll replace the we'll C- bleep it with a hey listen. Bossak San says, definitely Daisy, it perfectly prepares you for how buggy and full of hey, listen. the post-apocalyptic world will be, which having played Daisy recently I think is a very, very apt. Yeah, no, this, this is a good theme. You definitely need... Games that are going to prepare you for a world that will suck. Yeah, people is you know being run over by people in cars pretty regularly. So Carmageddon then. Ah, totally. Of course. Um, Fuggin says Half Life Two or The Walking Dead just to prepare you for the fact that everyone's a total bastard and so trust no one. I think Half Life Two is a good answer. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a. I think that's a really sort of. 
I think if a post-apocalyptic event happened in a sort of sci-fi sense, I think Half-Life 2 deals with it in a a sort of more realistic way. It's a almost believable dystopia, yeah. I think, Half-Life yeah. 2. I really I do like that. It's a good idea. Uh, Graham White also says Half-Life 2. Um, preparing for the bleak setting, oppressive regime, followed by an uprising. Obviously, Graham, they're going to be leading the uprising. Yeah, well, I, he I would the, choose him. He is the free man. I would follow him. Um, Guy Woodward, 89, says, um, of course... Just like to plug Guy's venture currently, uh, Nightmare Mode Go. He's been making some funny videos, so add him on Facebook. He's a good guy, and he, he knows a lot about games. Um, he also knows a lot about keeping things in their packaging, which I can totally get behind. Um, for post-apocalyptic preparation, I'd have to say Fallout 3. It covers all the bases, zombies, gangs, animals. Like <laughs> <laughs> animals, is Animals. It? Animals. Yeah, you got to watch out for those fucking animals, like... Um, and this is my personal favourite one uh, Ebold Fergie says Has to be FIFA Can he have a post-apocalyptic civilization without football? Need football Franco Morgan chimed in with that as well Just at football He did? Like, like there's, So it looks like the, the post-apocalypse is going to be divided Pretty strictly between people who are like out there fighting animals having a go with <laughs> totally. it, and like all oh, my followers are going to be sitting inside playing FIFA, remembering football. Well, this is it. Uh, a bold Fergie and Franco are going to be playing football while well, guy is going to be kicking fuck out a, like a house cat. So good. Uh, you skipped over a couple ones that I, I quite liked. Um, uh, Naked Salad said, uh, "Zombies ain't my neighbours," which uh, you know would be a fun apocalypse to live in. Totally. And then uh, Tokyo Jungle, which. Uh, Continues the animal theme. It does. Naked Salad and Guy Woodward are at odds, I believe. <laughs> yeah. They'll be leading the warring tribes to reunify Titsville in the future. They will be playing the post-apocalyptic cup final against one another. <laughs> I mean, my, my responses to this, like in terms of like the game that I want to go back and play for the first time, is uh, I thought about this and I, I landed on Wii Sports. Very journalistic answer. You think so? I think like, so. Like, I like it though. I agree with you. Like my my reasoning behind it is like when the Wii was coming out, people were just like, "What is this? Can this possibly work?" And then you got Wii Sports in your hand. It's like it works. It works. It's so much fun. And then like a month later, you were bored of it because there wasn't a lot of variety. Yeah. But to experience just that um, revelation that something new in video games could work, that that would be lovely. Aye. Did you have one for that? Yeah, I thought about it at great length too, and I wanted to say Xenoblade Chronicles because it's obviously a big, massive, sprawling RPG, but it's a bit of a cliche answer, and pretty much all I do is talk about how much I love Xenoblade, so I thought I'd skip that for once and talk about the other game that I talk about all the fucking time would be Super Mario Galaxy. Without a doubt, the biggest the biggest first impact the game's ever had on me was Super Mario Galaxy, mm-hmm. after being hyped beyond all fuck about it. like We spoke about this briefly, how I was really hyped about Pokemon Stadium, then it just didn't live up to it. Yeah. Mario Galaxy was the complete opposite. I was so hyped, and the minute I picked it up, I just wanted to like weep tears of joy. It, it was, was so much better than I ever brilliant. expected it to so be. So fluid, so satisfying. It looked beautiful. It sounded amazing. Yeah, the structure, Mar- oh. just the ideas. Expe- so many ideas. Experiencing some of those some of those levels. Like like I mean, because there is like so little repetition of ideas, you could play it for a second time and it'd pretty much be like you were playing it again for the first time. Anyway. Well, I did. I mean like I played it through and you like you get to go back as Luigi. Luigi. Like left it for a couple of months and it was just sort of like, Oh, all of this is great again. I know. Beautiful. So yeah, that'd be mine. What about your what would prefer you for the, the apocalypse, do you think? Oh uh, well we kinda covered it in some of the answers. I w- I I eventually ended up on the Splatterhouse for the Mega Drive because it's 
you know, you have to fight your way through and it's full of horrible monsters and it sucks. And I think the post-apocalyptic world would suck. So you've got to get used to life just sucking all the time. Totally. My, my answer would have to be the same as Boss Axe Definitely haven't played Daisy. I think that would definitely sum up the post-apocalyptic world best. Be prepared for people to be assholes and be prepared for everything to be glitchy that's our that's our bleakest sign off that we can get from this episode the world is ending prepare for the world is full of assholes and when it ends don't think anyone's going to be nice to you yeah and don't don't be don't expect as we're having here like helpful little fairies to bleep out the word exactly so there we have it thank you very much everyone for getting in contact yeah there'll be more questions next month and um as always your input is valued yeah and if you know, by all means, if you have any more suggestions for this, feel free to keep tweeting us. We'll still talk to you about it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and if you've got an idea of what questions we should ask next month, you exactly. know, like the um, the ask box and Tumblr or tweeting, just uh, no, get involved. Good. We like you. So please get in touch, and we will see you all in the Fitball Animal Bashing Post Apocalyptic Dystopia. That'll be good. Yeah. So a slightly new feature that we're going to do every month to sign off the show is uh, obviously we talk about music and video games a lot. So we're going to take month about and sort of outline a piece of music or maybe a soundtrack from a game that we feel was either particularly you know significant or you know sets it sort of a bit above the rest. I mean, this is a huge part of the nostalgia that we feel in video games because we're both musicians. Well, Barry, obviously, a lot more than I am. But uh, oh, we, you play a real instrument, at least. Yeah, that's true. That's I just true. play guitar. You know, it's fucking. It's easy. It's easy. So, so many people play guitar. Even Zoras can play guitar. Yeah, exactly. And they've got webbed fingers. Um, for anyone that follows me on Twitter, you'll see me talking about this recently. Um, I've really fallen, re, sort of re-fallen in love with 8-bit music again recently, specifically NES music. Um, I've been playing Kumijo Densetsu or Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse, as it's known in America. And in, and in the UK yes. and everywhere except Japan pretty much the, you know, but don't think I'm just being a ponce and calling it a Japanese version for the sake of it there's a reason for this um, in the Kumijo Densetsu carts in Japan they have a separate you know an internal sound chip on the board well okay. it's not a sound chip but it's the VRC6 chip um, which was designed by audio programmer Hidenori uh, Maizawa and basically that did things to the graphics and also to the sound. To get technical, it added two extra pulse wave channels and an extra saw wave channel to the sound. I'm all about the saw wave. Exactly, which you may not think will make a lot of difference, but um, I'll let you hear a bit of the Castlevania 3 soundtrack and then a bit of the Akumajou Densetsu soundtrack, and you can be like, haha, holy shit. So, you know, the Japanese were the only people luckily, luckily enough to experience the soundtrack at the time. Is that just a pure sort of manufacturer cost? Pretty much. The, the, I mean, if you've seen Famicom carts, they're different from the Western carts. Yeah. And I just think there was an issue where uh, NES carts couldn't support. So people you know, people would have got to experience this for the first time only in Japan. And like the first time I heard this soundtrack, I was like, holy shit, it is so good. It's um, just another reason on the massive list of reasons why you should... Well, you want to live in Japan. This is the beauty of 8-bit music. You know, the, the, the people who are working, working it sort of... Konami at this time doing the Castlevania music. I mean, Konami's always had a great legacy of composers, and the the Akimajo Densetsu music is just so ripping, unbelievably ripping. That Castlevania is such a slog, but it is Castlevania <laughs> Three is solid, fucking solid. But every time you get to a new level, you're like, oh my god, this music is so fucking good. <laughs> so you know, the music is the best thing about the game it's leading you through by Aye. so yeah so I've been talking about this a lot man I have so much love for the soundtrack so I'm going to play a wee bit of comparison uh, 
Two, like my favourite track, uh, Mad Forest from the Forest level. I'm going to play a wee bit of the the NES version. And I'm going to play uh, the the full Famicom version, so you can really get a feel I for. Feel like your ears have popped, and the glory is the full glory is hitting your brain. You sometimes forget how Rage and Eight Bit music got towards the end of its cycle, but you know this is a really great example of it. So yeah, we will be signing off with Mad Forest from Akumajo Densetsu for the Famicom, and we will be back next month with. With more games that we used to love, games that we still love, and games that we hope that you'll love to enjoy the Soul Wave. <laughs>